Our partner is our technology. We're going to be moving into an era of artificial intelligence where our colleague is pretty much going to be software. My, my view on, on the future of work is that there are just some things that are going to be hard to replicate. Technology only amplifies what the humans are willing to do. And so much part of that is the culture that the founder set. You're listening to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the future of work, but it, not just like the typical future of work discussion. We're going to talk about everything about the growing organization, how to manage organized teams, how to grow scale teams remotely in different parts of the world, all those little topics. We're going to go into deep dive with two great friends, Giovanni and Matthias. Now, I could introduce you guys, but it's always more fun when you guys introduce yourselves. So, Matthias, I'll hand it to you first. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to what you're doing today. Thank you so much, Carlos, for having us here today. So yeah, just a, a little quick on, on, on me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually a product of, of being a child that, that moved around a lot with my parents working at the UN. So I, I traveled the world as a child in you know, Kenya, India, Italy, France, then went to university in Canada and then you know, uh, ultimately uh, did my master's in Sweden and then ended up here in, in, in the UK. So it's um, it's been incredible, to be honest, to be really here in the UK for the last like 20 years, because the first 20 years of my life was very, very different. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I started uh, working in venture uh, already just after the first uh, crash. So uh, that was in 2000. And um I mean, the world was just such a different place. I mean, European tech was really, really small. Outcomes of 10 to 20 million were considered incredibly big outcomes. Um, and so that was a, you know, I, I loved it. I loved the innovation. I loved working with uh, uh, entrepreneurs and felt super lucky to be involved. Um, but it was scorched earth after the last crash. It was really, there's not much going on. Uh, and then I ended up meeting up uh, with Nicholas, who was pitching me his business, Kazaa, and I decided not to do that. And then it turned out that we ended up building a, a, a business together, which became Atomico. And so I was pitching him the concept of Atomico. He was sort of thinking what he wanted to do next after Skype. And that's really, you know, how it started. And so I then built up Atomico while Nicholas was doing his earnout. And, uh, you know, I did that for two and a half years. And then he came on board and then we we, we raised an external fund and we built lots of other funds. And I had the opportunity to work with lots of great founders. And it was a wonderful 13-year journey at, at Atomico. And then now, you know, I've decided to, to build my own firm with Moonfire and focus on the seed stage. And it's kind of funny because when we started Atomico, we focused on seed and series A and in those days, again, you know, a, you know, a really solid Series A was between one and three million dollars, and today that is very much the definition of, of, of seed. Um, so it's good to be sort of focusing back at that stage of backing founders at they're really at the beginning of their journey, um, which is what I really you know enjoy doing the most. And um, uh, yeah, and so it's been it's been a really exciting time, and and, and I think it's a perfect time too to be building a firm uh, at the seed stage in Europe, because 
I feel that the other parts of the ecosystem have been built out and uh, are getting a lot of attention at Series A and B. But I think for us to have a really healthy ecosystem, it's about that early stage that that they where you need a whole bunch of different types of investors that are supporting the next generation of founders that are coming from all of these great companies that are being created today. And we have over a hundred billion dollar companies. And for example, when we started Atom Atomico, at, uh, you know, 13 years ago, there was one. And and so there's been a big shift here. Um, so, but yeah, and in those years, by the way, I did sit on the board of, of Seed Camp. Uh, was a first board member there, and and it was so fun to sort of see the you know forging of the of the firm and 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 what you've become has just been so impressive. So, congrats to to all the success of Seed Camp. No, I appreciate it. But before we transition to you, Giovanni, so we can hear your background, I just want to ask you one last question, Matthias, in the context of the chat we're about to have. You know, you've worked with many companies over the years. What is the what is the range of employee count uh, that that those companies have had? Because I think that's going to be a critical part of what we're going to be talking about once we get going. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really from one to thousands, you know, that I've been working with, um, and uh, and then you know the interesting thing too is the relationship between the number of employees and revenue, <laughs> which has also been very very different. You know, uh, you know, work with some companies that have a lot of people employed. And the revenue is is you know just coming you know whereas you had something remarkable that was happening at at Supercell where you know I think when we went in they were uh, 20, 20, 30 people uh, by the time they exited you know they hadn't grown much you know we we're maybe heading towards eighty but they were doing billions in revenue you know and so they kept that tight culture and they kept uh, the ability to be flexible and dynamic. Ilka is one of the most impressive founders I have met and leaders. And you know he always says that he's the least powerful CEO in the world, and I just love that comment. Yeah, well, I mean that that that's a, a very good quote for leadership right there. Yeah, because um, that that opens up quite a bit about what culture and leadership should be like. And, and on that note, Giovanni, let's let's hear a little bit more about your background, what led to the creation of humans. Just tell us your story. I mean, thanks very much, Carlos, for for having me. Generally, appreciate that. In terms of background, I was born and raised in the south of Italy, so super tiny um, village, 15,000 people. Um, then I moved when I was uh, 18, I graduated in Milan, and then at 22, I, I moved to London. Um, I Yeah, it just was something that clicked um, for me. London was just a, a special place to start a career, I, I thought, but I had not really kind of good understanding of what I wanted to do. I started working with a um, couple of small agencies and uh, there was kind of a, a natural path when you're coming from uh, from communication design. I quickly realized that there was not really for me. The thing that was uh, kind of not really fascinating was sometimes it's just this focus on the speed of the execution and not the ability to kind of uh, bring something across the entire uh, life cycle, if it's a product or a piece of communication or anything. So that's where I started kind of you know, venturing into the into the um, startup ecosystem. And I started my first, well, it was a kind of relatively large startup back then. It was Jobon, going pretty fast when I when I joined. And it was really exciting journey. And uh, and I spent a couple of years there, learned a lot. And, and then from there, I wanted to try something entirely different. And to join a company, there was like 10 people in a room. So Jobon back then was close to 1,000 people. And then I joined this tiny startup, 10 people, raised like a really strong so to say i think was the one of the largest back then in in europe and saw the company going from like 10 people in a room to kind of 60 people in just a few months so there was a, 
kind of really, really interesting, working close with the founders and learning, learning a lot. And then from that, this was, I was focusing on the, on the product side of things, product design, and then obviously on the consumer mostly. Um, and then I say, okay, I want to try something now, which is different. This B2B space looks extremely exciting. There's not lots of love put into B2B technologies. And then Qubit is, uh, is something that then uh, kind of, you know, materialized as an opportunity and I had the opportunity to work really, really close with the founders there. And, and for me, it was just a kind of a phenomenal um, experience, a good trajectory of the company. And that's where I met my co-founder, actually, Carolis. Carolis was leading the engineering team at Qubit. There's something that clicked. Uh, he actually hired me then. So was, uh, he interviewed me at Qubit. So it was, uh, it was kind of an interesting um, thing. And, uh, and the fact it was like really heavy on the, in the engineering culture, but it was not a lot on the design side of things. So for me, it was, again, building up, ground up uh, design at Qubit. Obviously, we managed to accomplish a lot with Carolis, and there was this great synergy. So we thought, okay, maybe you know we should do something together. And we were kind of exploring options, but there was something that was really kind of something that clicked for us. And it was the fact that as a kind of sophisticated product and engineering function, we always use the best piece of technologies, products that can help you move really, really fast. And then we look at the landscape of other kind of uh, teams and what they were using. Like, you know, you see beautiful product in sales, beautiful product in marketing. But when you look at the landscape of HR products, everything was kind of, you know, a little bit um, painful, I would say. Like the fact that as a people managers, we had to interact with a, with a bunch of tools and, and it was something that wasn't right. The product was slow, clunky. We said, okay, this is interesting because actually you need this piece of software. Like literally every single company is a piece of software to manage uh, employee data, to manage their staff, why there is not lots of love put into this type of technologies. And that's something that kind of educated a bit of the, of the strategy for humans. But there were two main observations that, that kind of that help um, and kind of shape more of the, of the vision of the product. The first one was the market dynamics. And the fact that we're players focusing on the long tail of SMEs with all-in-one type of solutions, they were not necessarily really sophisticated and not scalable. And then you go on the total end of the spectrum with players like you know, SAP and Workday, they're just really designed for massive um, corporations. So there was basically nothing in between to help companies grow and scale from like in a few hundred to kind of in a few thousands and more um, employees. The other aspect that was really interesting was the adoption of point solutions um, across basically different different aspects from uh, the recruitment and more. And, and that basically helped us say, okay, there is something that's missing and something that we could basically bring together to generate automation, business velocity, and more. Right. So let's on that on that point, you, you brought up a very good point, Giovanni. Um, and I want to go deep dive into that for the next few minutes, which is what are the dynamics? When you say that there, there's on the one end this long tail of SMEs, or on the other end there's this big corporation, and there's nothing between hundreds to a few thousand employees. And I know that Matthias earlier were talking about Supercell and some other companies. Let's talk about the problems of those companies because I think that's the, the key point of, of this episode is talking about what are the kinds of problems that a CEO and a founder will be facing. Where not only will it be a platform play like what you're building uh, humans for, but like just for them to know what to expect, what's normal, what's not normal. Whoever wants to take well, it first, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to. I'm happy to jump in. Like 
the first thing that we observe is basically the needs of a company are changing quite rapidly when you go through the phase. So something is working when you've got 100 people, it's not necessarily going to be the same thing when you actually have you know, 200, 300 people. And they can be the way you run a, a performance management cycle, the way you run you know, hiring process, the way you do engagement with employees. So this means that you need different uh, support from a technology perspective to kind of you know scale the organization. So this is something that is like you know for us was really really interesting to see. This means that you need to change your stack, you need to reevaluate your priorities. I want to pick out on a couple of those points. Some of those are very emotional points. And there's there's an argument to be made that there there are either platforms that are specialized in that. You know, I've seen tons of companies, I'm sure you have as well, Matthias, companies that are specializing just on like hiring or just just on performance management because it's such an emotional tide is is there really um a promise that we can ever meet where one technology solves all that or or what do you think is it organizationally is it not just about all these changes happening but also tons of new tools being added to like you can't help that what what's your opinion there i think we're kind of underestimating the changes that are happening in the people space um, so let me just pull back a little bit, maybe, and talk about the story of uh, a little bit of how humans and us met, you know, which kind of it could be an interesting story, too, for, for you. So I was introduced to Giovanni by one of our portfolio founders, you know, Pento, uh, who had, you know, in the payroll space. And they said, look, you should meet them. We're using this service. We think it's great. And we think this, they, they've got something here. And so that was obviously a great reference. And so things move really, really quickly. But it's interesting, too, that it comes from another person who works also in the sort of HR space and sort of defining and solving a specific problem. You know, in terms of thinking about you know, what's happening in this space and that we're moving from this thing of, of being a um, HR, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, as Giovanni has talked about, HR is like a, a certain specific administration task to something that's actually taking over large parts of the organization in terms of integrations and relationships. So they're not sitting in a corner, they're sort of part of everybody's development and culture development, sense of purpose, all these things are becoming something that become, that's so important for that sort of function, which is now like really a people and talent development function. And I think that to think that there's one service that's gonna solve everything I think is 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 not thinking far enough of what we can do in each one of these areas, which is huge because the impact to the uh, individual can be enormous. That that's what got us excited in terms of like, okay, so this is something that you know, another point solution within the HR space is sort of seeing as a a broader solution that's helping them sort of navigate this new this new world. I think we're going to see a bigger shift now. Uh, where we're going to be seeing more point solutions. And, and it's also working on a mega trend of building software on top of software. And I think that's allowing also companies to grow faster than ever before and provide quicker solutions, big, better integrations, um, and faster deployment. Mm. Yeah, something that I want to add is also related to the composition of different organizations. So if we look at companies that are scaling and growing with a more kind of distributed setup, they have specific needs. They're also related to kind of, you know, compliance challenges as well. So if you're operating, let's say in the UK and Brazil, maybe the same applicant tracking system is not going to work because there are different aspects that, that you need. Or from a payroll perspective, obviously payroll is a super interesting space because it's extremely highly regulated. So you need something that obviously is bringing together all the different pieces of technology that you are using 
kind of, you know, in a way that is not all in one, but it's all together, right? And that's what we're trying to do, basically bring everything together to provide this business velocity while providing the flexibility you need to scale the company in the way the best works for your specific setup. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a very good point. I mean, if I had to paraphrase it, it's it's not about doing the job of all these tools, like a Swiss Army knife is the, all the tools, but they're, none of them are particularly good. It's about having a good overview of all those tools and then bringing it together so it makes more sense. Because with, as you were saying, Giovanni, things are changing so quickly that going from 100 to 200 to 300, you need to be able to track that change, not necessarily have a tool that evolves with that change. You might be replacing yeah. tools. But I, I cut I cut you off with some other of the other challenges that you see, and you had a few more more ideas about what changes you see in companies between you know that hundreds to thousands of employees. Yeah, there's obviously the aspects around again technology that you need to manage process, and that can be even if we tap into I don't know the way you run performance process, the way you run an onboarding process, the way you run you know um, kind of you know promotion as well as well as tapping into the culture and then retention piece. Obviously, companies are much smaller. They're not sophisticated. They can operate in a way that is you know, really fast and sometimes don't really pay attention to some of the impact of these processes versus if you have you know, 500,000 employees and you're running kind of a performance review, you need to make sure that things are really, really solid and fair and inclusive for the entire organization. This means that you need a different type of setup and a different type of you know, tech stack to support you with that. And at the same time, you need basically to leverage a different data set that is obviously larger and is really comprehensive in order to make decisions that can help you build a better place of work. And that's something that, you know, we, we try and build technology to facilitate that as well. What's really interesting about some of these points, Giovanni, is that I, I, I'm a very big believer that, so I love the name of, of your company, the technology Thanks. only amplifies what the humans are willing to do or what are willing to inject. And so much part of that is the culture that the founder set in evolving that and evolving that into like a, a process that then can use tools to use it. And so, Matthias, maybe to you, a question is, you know, you, you hear some of these anecdotes Giovanni is sharing um, about elements of the company that need to change quickly, not only from a tools perspective, but just culturally, you know, adapt, adapting, delegation, uh, hiring, diversity culture. Like, how do you find founders that can adapt to that and that are not going to be um, like, what, what do you look for in a founder that gives you an idea at the seed stage? That they're going to be able to embrace that change that Giovanni's talking about. You know, it's, it's essentially, I think, you know, to be able to discern that from others is that just how quickly they react to changes and and you know the 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 ability to aggressively think differently given new information that they have in front of them. Um, it's also, I think, a, a product of the type of people they also like to surround themselves around. I think that that's also super helpful. To sort of think of, you know, if, if if you're seeing a little bit of a monoculture, then you're wondering, you know, is it somebody who is comfortable with ambiguity and having to change very quickly? Um, so I think those are some really good indicators. Um, but ultimately, when you're looking at, the, you know, when, when you're in the company, you can really tell the difference when you're working together with them is of, you know, how quickly they can change and 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 be able to distill you know, what is the new norm? What is the new benchmark? And not sort of have hangups of what they see the old world to be. Because I think that's that's the real power of being able to imagine and see, you know, what is possible and what we can do. And I think that there are a few founders that, 
you know, or, or people I would say in the world that are, you know, you know, incredibly good at always being able to be just a couple of steps ahead there. Well, that's, that's a good, that's a good segue. You know, if, if you assume that somebody has those attributes and which actually line up with the attributes that we look for in founding teams, you know, that a large part of where that hits the road is the go-to-market. You know, it's like, as, as you built this product and it's amazing, it's exploring that customer. And so Giovanni, maybe you can share with, with us kind of anecdotes. Cause I think the, the target market that you're going for is a hard one to crack. Right. And you're asking them to trust you with, you know, a core part of their, their human operations. And, and it's, yeah. So it's not only hard to find those customers, but also to, to convert them. Maybe what, what, what tips do you have for listeners that are trying to engage those very same customers? Maybe not specifically what you're building, but just in general, how, how do you crack open that go-to-market for, for that segment? There are two main observations there. One, and it's basically the reality of the of the market that we're in, that is extremely competitive and it's tough. And uh, as a founder, you need to accept that you're going to be dealing with a, some sort of level of rejections, right? And that's and that's totally fine. And specifically for, this is related to the point that Matthias mentioned around being able to kind of you know, adapt and adjust and accept. Um, I'm coming from a product background. Um, I'm not used to lots of rejection. So now when you actually transition into kind of in you know, a sales role and, and try and be kind of you know, aggressive in getting kind of a step into the door, that's, you know, is something that you need to, you need to learn how to face. The other, the other aspects based on this conversation uh, I have with, with companies and prospects is that there is lots of element of trust that you need to build, as you mentioned, is more kind of a consultative type of approach that you need to implement as part of the sales process and the cycle. Just be there, listen, try and try and absorb as much as you can. Uh, ultimately, when you when you try and sell into people ops, HR, and talent function compared to, I don't know, DevOps, like is it really different type of transaction? Like with kind of, you know, very technical teams is a pure transaction where they don't want to waste time. They know exactly what they need. They don't want to see if you have a specific solution for the problem versus future of work. Things are changing so much that as a company, you don't know, you kind of have an idea of what you need today, but you don't know what you might need, you know, in 18 months, two years down the line. So you're basically embracing this journey of trusting the provider that can provide you with some sort of support and help a technology can scale with you, can grow with you, can change with you as well. So they want, you know, to basically be listened and, and, and you to have some sort of kind of, you know, presence and be really, really close to them. Can I just also go back? I mean, like, a little bit on on uh, you know when we got involved uh, with uh, humans, you know what was so impressive was how quickly they were growing. Like you say, it was so complex, you know, you know. But but the, the amazing story I think of uh, of of humans, which I think is is so much of the era that we're in right now, you know, in terms of a new age of, of European venture and technology. Um, so you know, we're a new fund. We're we just launched our you know our, our sixty million dollar fund. We're speaking with with Giovanni and you know he's telling us about what he's doing we quickly move he then gets accepted to Y Combinator um you know uh he's quickly like like you know just two people signing up customers really fast because he's actually like i said building on top of other sort of softwares and making quick and agile uh integrations and auto- automating those processes as much as he can and he's fueling that growth and then you know they are raising they, 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 you know, they're getting loads of interest into the company post that, and ended up doing a, another round pretty shortly after that. Most of them being investors from coming from 
from from from the U.S. So a whole host of uh, top tier names being interested in this business, and at and all the while he's just still slugging away bringing in new customers. There's a whole new world that changed in front of us right then, right? So he's working in a completely remote world. I'm working in a completely remote world. And then what you're doing is you're just looking at where the gaps are in that market and how you get, you know, how you're able to do and achieve what you want to achieve in a way that maybe has never been done before. You know, I, I really do believe that humans is a unique example of our age. And I think there's more companies like them out there that are doing exactly the same thing. But and I, they're I, the I, ones that are being winners in this new sort of post-pandemic world. I want to touch on a point you made there, Matthias, about the, the unique times that we're living in the opportunities. I mean, I think if, if I dig a little deeper on that one, the last year has been an interesting time for people to receive inbound sales offers, right? Yeah. Like if you're a, if you're a founder, you haven't really had to travel to close a deal, which is helpful, right? In some cases, it reduces costs. Um, and it's been some cases easier to get meetings, uh, in other cases, more difficult. Um, and so I, I guess I just want to hear maybe some anecdotes about um, how you guys think fundamentally go to market for early stage companies selling enterprise sales type products is is different. Like what, what advice would you give to somebody listening to this, who's now, you know, we're now coming out of lockdown. There's going to be a sort of a hybrid approach to meetings in person. And just in general, like what, what are the best methods? Is it just LinkedIn scouring or is it, you know, maybe, maybe some tips and secrets there. And, and Matthias, maybe anything that you've seen from any of the other companies in how to like get those early beachhead customers. You know, what I think is so interesting is that I think, that companies today are more interested than ever in trying new services and technology. You know, today it's almost normal for you to be signing up lots of customers after having launched after a few months, you know, whereas before it was like something you had to wait like, you know, a year, like, okay, it's going to take forever. Um, but I think we, everybody has sort of bought into this concept that we need to be trying new things. We'll start them at slow, you know, maybe a smaller scale, bring them into the organization and then add that onto our sort of set of tools. So the world is changing in, in front of our eyes, and we're seeing also companies do really cool things. You know, they're 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 getting people to try and test early on, maybe before the product is 100% ready. They're then able to sort of change, you know, what they're doing to then be a little bit more uh, bespoke for this problem that the that, that that maybe customer has, and thereby further building their product and making it even more what becomes then a more scalable product that's fit for purpose, even better. Um, and, and, and to me, you know, like a lot of people, I think there's also this conversation of, should we have direct sales? Should it be inbound? Should it be outbound? You know, uh, you know, should it be, you just, you know, you know, you just let people come in and, and, and sign up themselves. And I think it's constantly mixing these different solutions. I, I you know, today I, I'm definitely not a proponent of uh, not having a sales team. I think sales teams can be super powerful of driving any part of your sales. Um, and a lot of that personal relationship becomes important. And we we forget sometimes that, and you, you talked about this, the human element Technology is technology. Technology doesn't always understand human beings, you know, and and we need that human element. Our partners are technology. You know, we're gonna we're gonna be moving into an era of you know artificial intelligence where our colleague is 
pretty much going to be software, right? But, you know, there's things that they can do, and there's things that, you know, that are great, and there's things that we can do that are great. And I think there's going to be a much deeper partnership there. Uh, and we're going to realize the importance of the, of the human element in, in what we do and, and how we leverage that. Cool. And, and Giovanni, maybe you can comment on that with regards to how you, how you did that at the product level, because not only were you having, look, when you're, when you're having these chats with these companies, you're not only trying to convince them to, to look at your product and, and sell into it, you're trying to get them to think about their internal human processes and then leverage best practices. But on top of that, it sounds like you're also asking for product integrations or at least visibility on existing tool stacks and tech stacks. And so, you know, like that's like the ultimate like trust factor right there uh, for any company with a new startup. Just maybe how you've navigated some of that, like what are the, the biggest challenges you've had in, in, in getting a company scaled up to where it is today? A few things that are related to the go-to-market. Something that is wrong in my opinion and the perception is specifically when you're building a sales function it's always about oh you need to make sure that you have like you know really really big top of the funnel it's kind of you know it's maths it's, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward but we we tried a couple of experiments with large top of the funnel and we noticed that there was not necessarily the best way for us but then we noticed that if you try and stay highly kind of segmented that's you know the results are much better when we say okay this is the kind of the group in terms of company size that we're targeting this is the kind of specific you know vertical that we're targeting and then we see okay can we map specific paid points that we believe this type of companies have got with you know the value that they can extract from our technology and just trace super super narrow and then what we notice is that basically the even when you send i don't know an email you try and be extremely highly personalized with the messaging then you get a much better response because companies can actually relate to what you're saying like you know we're getting Kind of 20 to 25 percent you know reply rate to our emails which is like you know it's pretty good so very very happy with that and that's something that you know we kind of experience when we're trying you know to go really really broad and but that's again you need to do a bit of research but the good thing is that you can capture different signals if you try and stay really close to this company that you would want to kind of serve and help even say okay what is the applicant tracking that they're using you can see that is, is live you know what they're using so you can say okay i know that if a company of this size is using this product probably they have this set of problems. So how do we map that next to, you know, what we can offer, you know, from an integration perspective. And then you design something which is really, really specific and say, hey, I'm pretty sure that you might be experiencing something, you know, along those lines. You want to have a conversation. We're keen to learn more. Maybe, you know, it's not going to be relevant today, but maybe we can give you an opinion of things that we observe with companies at similar stage, similar size, with similar pain points. And then we get these conversations going. And, and then again, the HR people community, they're extremely open to kind of share their pain um, because, again, it's the nature, you know, of, of the of the role. And this is also related to the second point, which also we're thinking about in terms of additional pillar in addition to sales, which is building community, right? So we know that is extremely community-driven. They talk to each other. They like to share best practices. So for us is how do we kind of now, obviously, we want to stay focused on the sales function because it makes sense. It's a natural way of ramping up fast. But then what's the next pillar? The next pillar has to be community because it makes so much sense. So how do you think today to build a community that can kind of stay focused on these specific needs that they are, you know, express, right? Mm. That's very good insight. And, and community is a huge part of most companies now and thinking about not just their uh, customers' community, but also internally um, the, helping them talk to each other. So... Maybe transitioning to the last topic before we start wrapping up is the future of work um, in terms of the changes that we're going to expect permanently and the impact that's going to have in organizations. Maybe, Matisse, you can start. Like, uh, what, what are your thoughts about what are you looking at? 
within Moonfire to to like invest in because you fundamentally believe uh, things will be different, and, and obviously humans is part of that investment strategy. But like generally speaking, what do you see? the impact of what's happened last year is going to change in the way you look for and in, in areas that, of interest? Uh, look, all of these trends that we're talking about were happening pre the pandemic. Um, and I think what the pandemic has done is exacerbated some of this stuff. So it's moved it even faster. So we've talked a lot about that, but, you know, it's quite clear that the, the traditional way of looking at the workplace has been dismantled, right? You know, how we work, where we work, uh, when we work is just completely different today than it was before. And we can, and we've redefined it, you know, and I think the, the concept of where the workplace is, is very much in question. And, and I think, you know, we're going to be moving a lot more to work is maybe defined more about the culture, the, the, the vision and um, the sort of united thinking that the group of people have together more than necessarily, this is where I work and this is, you know, what I'm doing. Um, and then, you know, we talked about this a little bit about how the, the the sort of handling and managing people is going to become a lot more important, you know, and, and it becomes heart of what an organization stands for and what it does, um, and also, you know, key to its success. So we're moving from an HR function, which, you know, I remember, you know, when I started off working, it was literally a person who had an Excel spreadsheet would sit in their own room, usually, because everything they have is a, is a sort of, you know, very uh, confidential information. And there was sort of this unique person that would come and every once in a while, you'd kind of meet them, right? And you tell them how many days holiday you had and whether you got paid or not um, to, a, to a completely different function, which looks at people and sort of says, this is our main asset. Let's make sure we get the best ones into the organization. How do we manage and develop them and, and train them? And, and how do we become an organization that really cares for them as well? Because it's going beyond the training. It's going on we want them to have a good physical and mental health as well. And then we have these other trends that are really interesting, like freelancers, you know, that are coming up and growing. And probably, you know, the UK is one of the fastest growing freelancer economies. Um, and it's interesting because we want to have that freedom. And at the same time, we're also wanting to have a sense of purpose and uh, and belonging. And I think that software, again, can be really good at, at sort of bringing those really diverse thoughts together. And so I think there's going to be a whole new set of solutions out there that, to help us out. And then there's, there's these other things that people are, I think, really, you know, uh, afraid of and, and, and worried about automation, you know, and, and, and how that's taking away work. And, and my belief is, again, I, I've been saying this a few times, in, in this in this podcast that I think actually we're going to be working together with technology. It's not that technology is going to be replacing people. I think if, if, if we wanted to have people doing nothing, that would have happened a long time ago. You know? And so since the invention of fire, which helped improve our lives you know, enormously to the industrial revolution, to the software revolution, I'm not working more. Unemployment, you know, we've had an issue with COVID, but overall unemployment is super high. Uh, and I think we'll get back to that when we, when, when we move into the industry. But what it does mean is that we need to adapt and we need to change and how we work and where we work needs to be different. And then finally, on that too, continuous learning is also really important. And we're going to be, you know, upskilling and reskilling. And uh, this becomes, you know, what used to be, you know, something you did at university and you, you spent a lot of money on, and then, you know, you went on with your life. 
now, you know, like maybe that, that, that money that you did spend in the time you did spend is not useful anymore. Uh, and actually the work and the knowledge that you're building within the organization is going to become a lot more useful. So yeah, th- those, that's my little sort of view on, on, on the future of work. Yeah, well, that's not little. I mean, that's quite a bit. And actually, it, it does it does marry up with, with what I'm also experiencing. So, Giovanni, I'm going to ask you the inverse of that question. So, you're dealing with HR people every day, and they're being inundated by like 500 startups all desperately trying to get their attention with different ideas, slightly tweaks of how to performance manage and all stuff. What are the areas that HR people are exhausted about? Like, what are the things that they're like, you know what, we're never going to do this? Like it's just not going to work, and we're just not not going to implement. What what are the areas that you think are overhyped? I mean, something that is fun, like is is the fact that there's still a massive amount of manual work involved with a number of processes, and even if you have all this many point solution, the fact again going back to the kind of integration piece and the fact they don't talk to each other means that you need to kind of migrate data from kind of one system to another, and that's really painful. So the way we see is basically there two components there. One is around the operational efficiency and this, you know, build automation for this process. So you can move from the actual kind of, you know, manual work and admin tasks to the actual value culture that you can build within the organization. And it's about how you build a better place of work. So it's kind of, you know, shifting the, the role of the, of the kind of, you know, HR professional. So you have more time for strategy, more time for thinking, more time for building something better. And they can be related to, I don't know, for us, for example, his do things in parallel, automate process, but also, I don't know, build better analytics aspects like component. How do we leverage the data? If we are collecting all this data, like what do you do? Like data should not be kind of, you know, HR software should not be kind of a, a static container for all this data should help you come up with insights. And, you know, we're investing in, you know, gender pay gap analysis or diversity metrics, things that can really help you understand what's going on with your business, have kind of clarity, real time. You don't need any kind of, you know, technical help, engineering support that needs to kind of extract data, slice and dice and ingest in a BI tool. And then you spend like, you know, you know, two months before you can actually understand what's going on. And this is basically something that can, change and enable um, people ops and teams to really say, okay, this can be much more strategic. And this is something that is kind of also fun because we're building a better company. So um, yeah, I don't know if that kind of addressed your, your point. Just to add on to that point, like, I think it's really interesting what, what Giovanni says is, and, and it comes to, you know, like, you know, we really do want this automation to happen. You know, I think it is something that makes us feel better and feel like we're able to achieve more. And, you know, we talked about Pento earlier on, you know, they're doing that in, you know, again, it's a mutual company of ours with, with Seacamp, but, you know, they're, they're doing that with payroll and just making sure there's less mistakes, making sure it's done seamlessly and quickly, you know, and then there's, a, you know, another solution that we've invested in, you know, called Willow Pay, which is kind of similar, you know, to Pento, but, you know, freelancers, again, like they're independent, you know, um, they're entrepreneurs on their own and, and they need to be paid on time, you know, and, and being a freelancer, you work for 30 days and you get, it takes you maybe 30 to 60 days to get paid, but with Willa, you get paid immediately. And so again, like we talk about these whole lofty ideas, but you know, the solutions that come are actually just, you know, efficiency improvements that are sort of in some ways fueling this bigger change that's happening in the workplace. Well, I I, um, I appreciate that. I, I and Giovanni, uh, it's funny because I wanted to hear if there was like one specific thing that HR people were frustrated about, and the, and the partially the, the cheeky the cheeky uh, reason behind that question was because 
like literally tail end of last year, I think I, I met at least five companies that were trying to solve the, how to replace like the coffee talk part of like an organization. And I think that the, my, my view on, on the future of work is that there are just some things that are going to be hard to replicate. It doesn't mean that you can't try to do that and that it doesn't integrate as part of a larger system, but I, it is an interesting sector. I, I agree with you, Matthias. Automation will only get you so far. You still ultimately cannot replace the human relationships. And I think that's what fundamentally makes uh, Moonfire special as a fund, you know, with your experience and, and Giovanni, what you're building is super great as well in the sense that you're helping people make uh, sense out of all that chaos. So um, with that, I'm just going to ask you one last question, Matthias, just because uh, I know you dropped it a little bit, yeah. um, uh, but maybe this is just a, a parting opportunity to talk about some of the good news you, you want to share. Yeah. So, you know, we have raised our fund and, and uh, you know, we're a $60 million fund is our first fund. So it's really exciting, you know, with, with, a, with a wonderful team on board. And I feel so grateful really for all the support that I've received from the community and people, you know, like yourselves who, who've been out there helping us on our way. And we've made a bunch of investments over the last 12 months, as you do when you're, you're, you're raising and, and, and building at the same time. And so, yeah, it's really exciting to announce that, you know, here we are with our, with our new fund and we are so excited to back the next generation of founders. Excellent. Well, on that note, guys, thank you for joining me and, and the Seedcamp community that listening to this. We'll, we'll be sharing your details on the show notes for anybody who's interested in getting in touch. So until next time, guys, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks very much, Carlos. Bye.